Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well this morning. It's a beautiful, beautiful day out there. So thankful for that. My name is Glenn. I serve on uh, staff here at Parkview, and it's just a joy to be with, with you this morning. If you're a guest, I'd just like to welcome you. We're really glad that you found your way here to Parkview this morning. I hope you're feeling welcome so far. We're nearing the end of a series in which we're looking at some of the miracles in the Bible in order to help us not only appreciate God's power, um, but also increase our awareness of his workings in the lives of his people. So this morning, uh, I know you've got a lot going on. You've got the offering coming by and all. But if you want to uh, grab your Bible and open it to Daniel chapter 3, uh, we're going to read that together this morning. If you're using the chair rack Bible, it's on page 80. The historical account that we're going to look at this morning took place during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar around 590 BC in ancient Babylon. At the time, Babylon was the most powerful nation on earth, extending from Egypt to the southwest, north through modern Turkey, uh, with an eastern border near modern Iran. So since you've taken the time to get out of bed this morning, get all ready, get in your car and make your way here, chances are it's because you desire on some level to live a life that's consistent with your faith. And that's a, that's a good thing because God calls us to walk in a manner worthy of him, which means he calls us to live a life of obedience and faithfulness. So if you're like me, though, you find it difficult at times to be faithful. That goes against the grain of who I am. I'm a fallen creature. So my own desires get in the way. My own sinfulness and self-centeredness and stubbornness make being faithful to God a, a daily struggle for me. So the event that we're going to look at today, even though it took place over 2,600 years ago, is going to be helpful for us if if your desire is the same as mine, to be faithful, uh, to live a life consistent with your beliefs in the one true God. So this narrative uh, has a lot to teach us, and before we look at it, I just invite you to pray with me. Father, again, I'm grateful for this opportunity to be here, and I'm grateful for each person that's here. And I do believe that you, there's no one here that's here by accident. And so, Lord, we pray together that you would speak to us, that you would empower um, my words, that you would use your word, which is living and active, and um, that you would accomplish the purpose for which it's been sent. Teach us this morning, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read pretty much the whole chapter. So if you want to uh, look at your Bibles together, let's read this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's uh, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers or officials to come to the dedication of the image that he set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial uh, officials assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald Loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, just going to want to give you a heads up. As we read through this, when I get to that part where he names all the um, musical instruments, just for the sake of time, I'm just going to say when you hear the music, all right? Because that's going to save us about 10 minutes. So uh, whoever doesn't fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At the same time, some astrologers came forward and, and denounced the Jews. They said to 
said Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever doesn't fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you don't worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward him changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furn- and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, well, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, God, come out, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes weren't scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now, I don't know if you grew up in the church. If you did and you're in my generation, you probably remember a flannel graph story of this. You know, does anybody ever remember flannel graph? Yeah. Kind of, kind of weird, huh? So they put those little figures up there, you know, and then they moved it around to illustrate the story. If you haven't grown up in the church, no worries. We're going to learn something this morning together, whether we've been a part of the church for a long time or not, about being faithful in our everyday lives. Yeah, this story is 2,600 years old, but it still has relevance for our lives today. So what can we learn, you and I, in our everyday lives about remaining faithful to our God, to our King? from these three men. The first is this. We need, if we're going to be faithful, to stand our ground, to stand our ground. And this is why I say this. I think this is really interesting. Verse three says, you know, the satraps, the prefects, governors, all these all these high officials assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. So imagine this huge assembly of people representing the nations that were subject to Babylon at this point in history. The people who were present on this plain of Dura were those 
those in positions of power and authority. They were the top officials of the empire. There were governors and lieutenant governors, military commanders, advisors, those who were responsible for Babylon's financial status, as well as those who presided over the nation's judicial systems. It was a very, very impressive guest list, if you will. These people represented the movers and the shakers of Babylon and its subject nations. Every official at this point in this historical narrative, however, were at on level ground, regardless of the titles before their names or the offices they held. All of them assembled on the plain of Dura at this point and stood before this image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. However, only three stood their ground when it came time to choose between bowing their knee or not. As followers of Christ, we are often faced with choices to either bow our knee before the gods of this world in which we live or stand our ground in obedience to Christ. If we're going to be faithful, then we have to stand our ground. We cannot bow our knee to dishonesty. Will we do that? When we're faced with that choice, will we bow our knee to dishonesty by judge or fudging some numbers on our tax uh, returns? Or are we going to stand our ground and be honest? Will we bow to slander and defame a co-worker to advance our career? Or are we going to stand our ground and speak well of that person? Will we bow to discontentment by making a habit of complaining? Or will we stand our ground and give thanks for what we've been given? Will we bow to greed or stand our ground and be generous? Will we bow to unfaithfulness or stand our ground and honor the commitment we made to our spouse? Being faithful means standing our ground in obedience to God, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. But I feel compelled to say this. It doesn't give us the right to be jerks about it. I don't know how else to say it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful to their God. They stood their ground instead of bow their knee like everyone else did. But they weren't jerks about it. When they were brought before the king, they responded to him. Even though he was furious, even though his decree was, you know, totally went against everything that they believed in, they still treated him with respect. Likewise, when we stand for Christ, we have to do so with respect toward others. The Apostle Peter instructs us to show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor, or honor the king, or honor the president. Later in the same book, Peter says this, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Faithful followers of Christ don't have to flaunt the fact that they're faithful. They just have to live out their faith. When we live lives of faithfulness to God, we're just going to stand out. We don't have to try to make it happen. It's just going to happen. God wants wants us to live in such a way that by our actions, we will prove ourselves to be, as uh, Paul tells Uh, us in Philippians 2, blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. And Jesus himself said that you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill can't be hidden. So if we're going to remain faithful, we need to stand our ground, but do so with respect. And secondly, it's important for us to note from this text that if we're going to be faithful, we can't stand alone. And this, I think, is really important. We can't kid ourselves about the pressures that these three Hebrews faced on this day. They were profoundly brave. 
The courage they displayed in the face of the pressures to conform to Nebuchadnezzar's demands was outstanding. They faced a religious pressure to conform. The temptation to add another deity to their allegiance to Yahweh was great. Nebuchadnezzar never denied them the right to worship their God. All he said was that they needed to add another deity to their faith and bow down to worship him. Obviously, this went directly against the first of the two, uh, first two commands. God said, you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, and you shall not bow down to them or worship them. And these three Hebrews understood that. They also faced vocational pressure. They were appointed to high positions in Nebuchadnezzar's government. At stake were their jobs, their positions of authority and power and prestige. At stake for them was the favor of the king. And then, of course, none of that really mattered because really what was at stake was their very lives too, right? Their safety was at stake. They heard the decree of the king that anyone who didn't bow their knee would be thrown into this furnace. The furnace was set up in the plain intended to intimidate everybody present. It was most likely, this furnace most likely resembled a railroad tunnel that was blocked at one end with an entrance on the other end. Charcoal provided the heat in these furnaces, and it's estimated that the temperatures could reach between 16 and 1800 degrees Fahrenheit. It's pretty stinking hot. So perhaps they stood close enough to it that they could feel the heat or, or hear the roar of the flames or smell the smoke, or maybe not. Maybe they were far enough away that they didn't sense the heat or smell the smoke. But because they were on a plane, no doubt they could see the furnace already blazing and knew that the threat to their lives was very real, very imminent, and very absolute. However, they didn't face these pressures alone. And this is important. They had each other. If they stood alone, it might have been a little bit easier for them to be carried along by the actions of this vast crowd around them. Alone, it might have been easier to rationalize bowing before the idol of gold by telling themselves, eh, they, I'm not really going to worship it. I'm just going to bow, make it look like I am, but I'm going to pray to Yahweh, my God. That way I don't rock the boat. But because they were together, I believe that they gained a lot of strength. Their character was much greater than that. In the first chapter of this book, we read that when they were first brought to Babylon in exile, along with Daniel, they were forced to eat the food and drink the wine that the king wanted them to. But that again went against their dietary laws. So they approached um, one of the leaders and said, hey, we would rather not defile ourselves by eating this. The Bible says that they had resolved not to do this. And that word resolved in the, in the Hebrew is actually made up of four words. And it means basically to set their inner man, their will um, above the circumstance that they were involved in. In other words, these men were men of character and integrity. And it showed on the plain of Dura that day, especially as they stood together side by side. The Bible says, walk with the wise and become wise. In Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And King Solomon wrote this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In other words, walking through life with others that's the way to go. Alone, we're more vulnerable. Together, we gain strength. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had each other as a source of encouragement and strength. If we're going to remain faithful to God, then we need each other in our lives. We need others who will help us when we're weak 
encourage us when we're down and lift us up when we fall. And we all do. We all have moments of weakness. We all have moments of discouragement. We all fail. We need each other to remain faithful. Third, if we're going to remain faithful, we need to obey the one in power. This is what the text says. The herald loudly proclaimed, this is what you're commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this point in the narrative, it's pretty clear from a human standpoint that Nebuchadnezzar is the man in charge right now. He is the one in power. His armies had conquered the nations that were represented there. All the leaders and officials present were there at his summoning, and there was a a contingency of Babylon's military presence there as well. And, of course, the furnace was set up and prepared uh, to burn alive anyone who dared disobey his order. So it's seen from a human standpoint that Nebuchadnezzar was the one in charge, the one in power. So with this being true, why weren't these three men intimidated by him? I think it's because they knew exactly who was really in charge that day. And they resolved to obey his orders. They showed by their actions that they didn't fear man, even arguably the most powerful man on the planet at the time. As we've seen before, they respected his position, but they didn't fear him. These three Hebrew men knew well the scriptures. And they no doubt were thinking of and allowing the reality of the truth to give them a perspective that no one else on the plane had that day. They weren't afraid of the physical flame because they were aware of someone far more powerful. These are some of the scriptures I believe that were running through their minds that day. From Exodus chapter 24, if you're familiar with this story, this is when Moses went up on the mountain to to get um, the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments from God. The Bible says that when Moses went up, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy, later, Moses tells the people to be careful and not forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Don't make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Later in Deuteronomy, We read again, be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And in the New Testament, long, long after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken up into heaven, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I'll show you who you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Way before Jesus ever uttered these words, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood the concept and demonstrated faithfulness to God by their obedience to him, even in the face of certain death, because they knew who was really in power that day. And they chose to honor him rather than the king. 
If we're going to remain faithful to God in our everyday lives, then we need to obey the one who's in power. And it's always God, always. The Bible tells us that when we're ordered to do something that goes against what God clearly commands, we must obey God rather than human beings. Being uh, in student ministry for so many years, I've said this many, many times to students. As we talk about those times when we might have to obey God rather than man, and I would tell the students there are going to be times perhaps when your dad or mom are in the kitchen and the phone rings and they see on caller ID it's somebody that they don't want to know they're there. Maybe it's their boss calling or somebody else and they tell you to pick it up and tell them they're not there. That's a tough spot to be in for a kid. Parents, sorry to say, I always told the kids, don't lie, even if your parents told you to, because they have to obey God rather than man, even in that situation. Of course, they might get grounded, but still want to honor the person in charge. So lastly, if we're going to stay faithful to God in our everyday lives, we need to follow regardless of the outcome. When I was asked to speak as part of this miracle series, I thought for a while, for days actually, and I landed on this particular historical account, mainly because of this verse right here that we're about to read. And this is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respectfully tell the king, we don't have to answer you, O king, about this matter. And I love what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Love that. O king, our God is powerful. Saving us from a fiery furnace, that's child's play to him. That's nothing. He could do that. He created this universe by speaking it into existence. We don't doubt his power or his ability, and we hope that he's going to rescue us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not bow down before your idol. We will honor him regardless of the consequence. And man, I love that. If we're going to be faithful in our everyday lives, we've got to have that attitude. That God, I will remain faithful to you regardless of the circumstance. Regardless of whether it turns out well for me in the immediate or not. I'm going to honor you. The Old Testament says this in Isaiah chapter 43. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Rather than compromise, these three men were ready to face the consequence. Obviously, God chose to protect them that day, but they were willing to die rather than compromise their faith in God. That's being faithful. Countless people throughout history, countless, have faced the same choice that these three Hebrews faced 2,600 years ago. And God chose not to intervene miraculously on their behalf. They ended up giving their lives for their faith in Christ. One such person was named Polycarp. If that sounds like a funny name to you, it sounded like a very funny name to me the first time I heard it. I remember when I was in Bible college, we had an assignment to uh, study uh, one of the early church fathers, and I got Polycarp, and I had no clue who this guy was. I just thought the name sounded funny. So, And then he was Bishop of Smyrna, and I thought Smyrna sounded pretty funny too. This guy must be like something. So as I studied his life though, wow. 
Wow, was I humbled. Bishop of Smyrna. Smyrna was an important city in the eastern shores of the Aegean Sea across from Greece. In AD 155, Polycarp was burned at the stake for his refusal to worship Caesar by calling him Lord and his refusal to offer Caesar sacrifices. History tells us that while he was led into the stadium under guard for his execution, the noise was so great that few could hear anything when a voice from heaven said to Polycarp as he entered the stadium, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. I love that. At his greatest time of need, this old man facing his execution heard God say, be strong, play the man. I love that. That's God's encouragement for all of us, regardless of what faces us in life, to be strong, to stand our ground, to refuse to bow the knee, to be faithful. No one saw who spoke, but many people heard the voice. The proconsul then urged him, saying, Swear, and I'll release thee. Reproach Christ. And I love Polycarp's answer. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king? Who saved me? Here's this old man willing to stand before the power of Rome and place himself at the mercy of God. Sure, he probably would have enjoyed it if God stepped in and miraculously saved him, but God chose not to. He was burned at the stake for his faith. He chose to remain faithful to God regardless of the outcome. God is in the miracle business. There's no question. He still does miracles today. Nothing is too difficult for him. But if God chose not to do a miracle on our behalf, my question this morning is, would we remain faithful regardless? Let's pray together. I'm thankful that you are powerful, Father. I'm thankful that you are able to do anything. Nothing is too difficult for you. You are able to intercede on our behalf at any moment in a miraculous way, should you so choose. But Lord God, I just pray for myself and my brothers and sisters that are in this room this morning, that regardless of whether you choose to do a miracle on our behalf or not, I pray that we would stand our ground, that we would have people around us who would encourage us, that we would fear you, that we would obey you, knowing that you're the one ultimately in charge. And that we would let the chips fall where they may. Give us strength, God, to be faithful to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.